Good morning. Did you guys know that most of Jesus' teachings weren't original? I mean, if you go through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' probably most famous teaching section of teaching, if you kind of go piece by piece of that, you can take every thought that he gives and trace it back to a rabbi that was around decades or maybe a centuries earlier. And Jesus would often pull from, from Jewish rabbis and their teachings and kind of bring it and graft it into his own. Now, sometimes Jesus would take those teachings and put his own spin on it, his own angle on it, or he would embellish it or add on to it. Um, sometimes he would just straight take it. Um, now, when Jesus is teaching, his audience is primarily a Jewish audience. And when he gives the Sermon on the Mount, the, the audience there is Jewish, so they know the teachings of the rabbis. So Jesus, in a sense, is kind of speaking their language. He's speaking into their culture, and he's pulling things out that they already know and saying, essentially, this is where you got it right. This is where you have seen the heart of God in your culture, in your context. Now, I'm, I'm curious to know what Jesus would do if he came into our culture and our context today, what truths he would pull from that. If he, if he landed in an 8th century Muslim context or a 12th century Buddhist context, I'm kind of making the centuries up, but you get the point. When Jesus landed in this Jewish context and he began to teach the people there, he pulled from the rabbis in the wisdom of his time. And today's text, when we look at it, uh, is a famous text uh, that we may, probably know pretty well, but Jesus originally pulled it from a rabbi named Hillel. Hillel was a popular rabbi in Jesus' time, and really around the time of Jesus' birth and childhood, this rabbi uh, kind of made the circuit and, and was well known. And so uh, Hillel originally said today's text in this way. He said, do not judge your neighbor until you have put yourself in his or her place. Do not judge your neighbor until you have put yourself in his or her place. And somewhere else, Hillel said, for the way that you measure other people, that same measure will be measured unto you. And this is basically a direct quote from Jesus in Matthew 7. I like Hillel's version because he adds the nuance of putting yourself in someone else's perspective and, and, and to not judge them until you've done that. Now, I would argue that do not judge is maybe the most quoted scripture in our culture today from Christians and non-Christians alike because we think that judge, being judgmental might be the worst sin that, that we can do in, in our context. We're constantly afraid of being too judgmental or uh, we constantly call people out for being judgy. And it's one of the greatest sins of our time. But what I want to do this morning is just look at what exactly did Jesus mean by do not judge? Because if it's something that we quote all the time, we need to kind of understand what he means. So what does Jesus mean by do not judge? Before we do that, let's look at the text in Matthew and turn them out and read it. Jesus says this, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So what does Jesus mean here by judgment? He doesn't mean that we don't make judgment calls, that we don't use discernment, that we don't use common sense or wisdom or make decisions. He doesn't mean to not make judgment calls. Like, we're called to use discernment. Uh, good discernment is knowing that if you're going to go to Taco Bell, you don't go to the one on, on Brook Road, you go to the one on Broad Street. Okay? It's just common sense, right? Good discernment is knowing I'm not going to do business with this person because I don't trust them with my money. Good discernment is knowing I'm not going to date this person because I don't trust the way that they treat other people. 
Jesus doesn't say to not use discernment, to not use common sense or wisdom. That's not what he means here by judgment or do not judge. We're called to make judgment calls every single day. But when Jesus says here, do not judge, the word is probably better translated, do not condemn. Do not seek to destroy or separate or look down on. Don't be the the judge, jury, and executioner in relationships. When you get frustrated or irritated or there's tension in a relationship or, or you're frustrated with someone else, don't just destroy them. Because as soon as you destroy them, as soon as you look down on them and think, I'm better than them, as soon as you think that, you're not. As soon as you destroy someone, you become a hypocrite. And that's what Jesus says. If, if you come to someone with the attitude of condemnation and destruction, and you destroy them with your words, with your actions, as soon as you do that, you're no better than they are. You're a hypocrite. Now, Dallas Willard's a great theologian, a great author. He says it like this in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. He says, condemnation is the board in our eye. Jesus knows that the mere fact that we are condemning someone shows our heart does not have the kingdom rightness he has been talking about. Condemnation, especially with its usual accompaniments of anger and contempt and self-righteousness, blinds us to the reality of the other person. We cannot see clearly how to assist our brother or sister, and we will never know how to truly help them until we've grown into the person who does not condemn. I feel like I could read that quote three times and just call it a day. (laughs) It's strong, it's powerful. So when Jesus says, do not judge, he means don't come down in condemnation on someone. Don't seek to destroy them. As soon as you have this attitude or this posture of arrogance, you've immediately lost the moral high ground. You you may posture yourself up here, but as soon as you do that, you've, you've lost it. You've lost whatever perception of moral high ground that you have. So do not judge or condemn or destroy. And Jesus gives us a movement in this passage, a movement from a posture of arrogance to a posture of humility. A movement from a posture of condemnation to a posture of of help. So Jesus says, do not judge other people because God's going to measure you in the same way. If you're you're condemning to others, you're going to receive that in return from other people and from, from God. First, do the work of realizing where you're at fault. First, do the the, the recognition of of who you are and and grow in self-awareness. First, take the plank out of your eyes so that you can see things clearly. Get over your indignation and look at it. And try to see the situation and the relationship clearly. So we see this, this movement from, from reaction of condemnation to reflection to a posture of humility. And Jesus says, once you've done the work of self-reflection and self, self-awareness, you then can see things clearly and you can begin to help your brother. You can begin to look at the speck and help them with the speck in their eye. So there's a posture from condemnation to help. Condemnation, uh, a posture from destruction to reconciliation and restoration. We have to kind of have this movement. And, and one thing when we get in, in tension and, and frustration in our relationships um, is just learning to question our motives, to question our actions and our words. Why do I want to say this thing to this person? Why do I want to do this thing to this person? Is my motivation destruction or restoration? Is my motivation that I want to win this, I want to win this argument, or is the motivation I want to win this relationship? I want this relationship to be, to be whole and full. So Jesus tells us to walk through this, this progress, this movement from arrogance to humility, from, from destruction to help, to take the plank out of your own eye, to see things clearly, and then seek to help the other person. And when Jesus says, do not judge, and to take the plank out, then he says, 
once you can see clearly, you can take the speck out of your brother's eyes. I just want to underline the word brother there, brother or sister. There's, there's an implication here. There's two things that, that, that jump out to me when we think of this idea of this person is my brother or sister. The first thing is that there's an implication of shared faith. Uh, when Jesus says just your brother or your sister, there's an implication that this person is of the same faith tradition or has the same foundation of values that you have, meaning when you're in a relationship with someone and you're frustrated with something they do, you first have to understand, do you guys have the same expectations for the relationship? Do you guys have the same set of values that you're working from? A lot of times we can get really frustrated with people that aren't inside a faith tradition and judge them based on our values but not their own. And Paul says this is ridiculous. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? And so the first thing when Jesus says, take the speck out of your brother or your sister's eye, is this implication of shared values, that you're on the same path and journey, same expectations. And the second piece when he says brother or sister, the second implication is the implication of proximity, the implication of relationship, meaning when you're working on this kind of accountability, when you're having a back and forth and you're trying to grow in a relationship or work through some frustrations, um, to, to have this kind of accountability implies relationship and traction there. Now, I've been married for uh, over 11 years now. When I look at this verse, there's so much wisdom in it because it's taken us about seven years to begin to start learning how to fight well. And I don't know if you guys are married or have been in long friendships, relationships, family dynamics, where it takes a long time to learn how to fight well because what ends up happening a lot of times is in the early years of a relationship is you get into a fight and you get really mad and you want to win the fight. Or you get really mad and then you just shut down and you don't keep the conversation going because you can't stay in the tension. And this verse is telling us, Jesus is telling us, in these moments, don't judge, don't condemn, don't seek to destroy, don't lash out, but stop and think what's really going on here. Learn to grow what's going on in, inside of you and seek to, to move forward in the relationship. So, so marriage is kind of learning how to fight well. Um, it's learning how to stay in the tension and to see what's really going on underneath and to work towards reconciliation and restoration and not just destruction. Because you can win fights but lose the relationship. And this is so true in not just marriage, but in all of our relationships, our relationships with our friends, our coworkers, our, our, our children, our other family members. We can seek to win the fights all the time, but lose the relationship. And Jesus says, don't seek to destroy, don't condemn others. Do the work on yourself, and then seek to help and to be helpful. There's this movement here. Jesus takes it further. He keeps going. And, and, and I want to say this. You could do everything right. Let's say you're in a, in a fight or a state of tension in a relationship. You could do everything right. You could, do, you could stop from condemning. You could do the self-work and see things super clear, know exactly where you're coming from, and you could seek to be super helpful, and it can still go terribly wrong. That's really frustrating, by the way, if you do the hard work and it still goes wrong. And, and that's just assuming a lot of good things about you in that moment, that you're actually doing it all right. And it can still go terribly wrong. So Jesus starts off this passage and he says, don't seek to destroy others. But then he moves on and says, but also, don't let others destroy you. So I'm just going to say that again because maybe that's the one point for today I want you to get is don't seek to destroy other people. But at the same time, don't let other people destroy you. And so Jesus says this next verse, which is also pretty popular. I've never read these two things together, but it's all one paragraph. I just kind of separate the thoughts. But this thought is right after do not judge, take the plank out. This next verse is what Jesus says. He says, but do not give dogs what is holy, 
And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So right after Jesus says, do not judge, he calls people pigs and dogs. I'm like, Jesus, I'm a little confused. <laughs> What's going on here? Um, so right after he says, don't seek to destroy others, he says, don't give the, but don't give the dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So what does he mean by giving what is holy or giving your pearls before pigs, or as we know it, most likely pearls before swine? What is holy? What is good? I think in the context of, of the Sermon on the Mount and where it's at in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about when you speak truth to someone, when, be careful with it. When you seek to, to help someone out by taking the speck out of their eye, to help them grow, to call them out, to hold them accountable, to seek resolution, be careful that when you do that, when you speak your truth, when you open yourself up in vulnerability to the person and say, hey, I'm disappointed, I'm frustrated, I'm wounded. When you're doing that, be careful that you're not giving what is holy, what you value, to someone who's just going to tear it to pieces. Don't give it to someone that's just going to turn around and attack you back. And when Jesus says to not give your, uh, give what is holy to dogs, I think immediately when we think of dogs, we think of like, the 21st century American context. We think of corgis and like labradoodles and SBCA rescues. And we're like, well, uh, but I want to put the, the diamond necklace on the corgi. It looks cute, right? We get this kind of imagery of, of cute dogs that we, that we have as pets, but that's not the context that Jesus is speaking into in that moment. Ashley and I, before we moved to Richmond, we spent a, a year overseas in the Middle East in, in Palestine. And one thing we noticed pretty quickly was the amount of wild animals running around in, in that area. In fact, there was one cat that hung out around our garbage bin that had like one eye. It had like a scar, you know, across the, the other part of its face. And I swear that cat was like the mafia boss for the neighborhood. That cat scared the mess out of me. It was terrifying. But one thing we noticed at night when we walk home from a friend's house or going to do something is one thing we noticed on the streets were these packs of wild dogs. And it sounds ridiculous, but this is what we saw, these, these packs of wild dogs that were, that were starving that were just nasty, gross dogs um, that, that traveled in packs, and they would always hover around trash. Um, and they'd basically roam around at night trying to find food, and they would devour everything they could find. And they couldn't discern what was good and what was bad. And if I went to them and, and gave them a filet mignon, they would destroy it just as soon as they would destroy a rotting bird. They could not discern what was good and what was bad, what was valuable and not valuable. They were just ravenously hungry all the time and never satisfied. They destroyed what they could consume without thinking about it. That was just the mindset they had. And so when Jesus says, I don't want you to give what is holy to dogs, this is the context he's speaking of. Dogs that have no discernible taste, that will consume whatever you give them immediately and be looking for the next thing. He's saying, don't give things that you value to people that will not value it. Do not give what you value to people that cannot value it. He goes on to say, don't give your pearls to, to, to pigs, lest they turn and attack you. Pigs can't understand the preciousness of the value of the pearls. They're going to think that they're that there's some kind of food they're going to trample on them, realize it's not, and they're going to turn and attack you. So Jesus is saying, don't give what's most precious to you, most valuable to you, to people that are going to turn around and just destroy it, and then ask for more and want more. So he starts off saying, do not judge. Don't condemn people. Don't destroy them with your actions or your words, but seek to help. But understand this, that some people aren't going to receive it. Maybe you're not actually being helpful in that moment. Maybe that's the reason why. But secondly, maybe they're just not ready for it. They're not ready for the truth that you're trying to speak in or that, where you're trying to bring that relationship or, or friendship. 
And then the last piece of that, so maybe you're not being helpful, maybe they're not ready, but also maybe they're just not safe. They have a pattern of destruction and not having these kind of conversations or relationships or taking them well. So the question is, how do you learn to recognize uh, a pig or a dog? How do you learn to recognize what I would call a fool? And the Bible gives us a ton of insight into what to look for in fools. I just want to read kind of a list of what the Bible says about this. So if you correct a wise man, they'll love you. If you correct a fool, they'll despise you. So immediately, as you give feedback to someone you're in friendship with and relationship with, their immediate response is a pretty good indication of what kind of person they are. If they have curiosity, if they realize, oh, I've really wounded you, I've really messed this up, if, and, and, and they want to seek to make this thing right or to grow from that mistake, they're a wise person. They'll love you for it. You actually will grow closer in the relationship when you're vulnerable with them. That's a good indication. But if they despise it and reject it and dismiss you and, and, and stand their ground, that's an indication they're a fool. Jeremiah 5.21 says, A fool refuses to listen or consider other views than their own. Proverbs 12.15 says, a, a fool refuses to listen to advice. A fool shows no reverence for the things of God. Proverbs 1.7. A fool's mouth is always getting them in trouble. Ecclesiastes 5.3. A fool's words do not nourish others. Proverbs 17. A fool is all over the place, never focused and undisciplined. Fools don't listen to others but delight in airing their own opinions. A fool can rarely overlook an insult and shows their annoyance quickly. Fools constantly exalt themselves and focus on looking good. When engaged in controversy, a fool rages and scoffs. A fool brings pain and shame to those closest to them. The companion of a fool suffers harm. A fool is like an archer that fires arrows and wounds people at random. And this is probably like 10% of what the Bible says about fools. Now, as I'm reading through this list, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, no, I'm a fool. <laughs> I'm the fool. And if that's what you're thinking, then I would say you're not. We all act foolish at times. We all do something that's on this list and, and act in certain ways. But a fool is someone that's just entrenched in their strategies and entrenched in how they handle these things. A fool is not willing to consider that they might be able to grow. So if you read through that list and thought, maybe I'm a fool, or at least foolish at times, it's almost an indication that you're not a fool because you're willing to consider that there's room for growth. A fool is entrenched in their strategies so how do you deal with a fool? Solomon has another idea in the book of Proverbs. He says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. I love this verse and I hate this verse. I hate this verse because it gives conflicting advice within a span of two sentences. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself, but answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Solomon's basically saying, um, if, you, if you try to match a fool at a fool's game, you've already lost. You've already sunk into his level. You've already uh, proven, uh, going back to the, the passage in Matthew, um, through your condemnation and through, through your approach, you've already lost the moral high ground. Paul talks about in Galatians that when you try to help someone out that's, that's broken, that's fallen into a pit, you have to be careful not to fall into the pit yourself. So Solomon says, don't answer a fool according to his own folly or you're going to be just like him. But then he says after that, 
But you need to answer a fool according to his folly. Otherwise, he's going to think he's right all the time. So which one is it, Solomon? And I think the answer is both. Though you have to learn how to use discernment to know when it's time to speak up and say, hey, this is, I've seen this pattern. I've seen this, this happen in our relationship and it's frustrating me. And I want to see it grow and be reconciled. There's, there's times when, when you need to do that in a relationship. But there's also times when you need to know you just need to stop. You need to walk away. There's a book that came out a few decades ago called Boundaries. And I just encourage you guys to, to go out and grab that book and read through it. It's a really quick read and it's really full of wisdom. It's by Henry Cloud and, and Dr. Um, and Townsend. But I want to pull a few quotes and ideas from the book Boundaries as we kind of wrap up here. Uh, Henry Cloud says this, Boundaries help us distinguish our property so that we can take care of it. They help us guard our heart with all diligence. We need to keep things in that will nurture us inside our fences and keep things that will harm us outside. In short, boundaries help us keep the good in and the bad out. They guard our treasures so that people will not steal them. They keep the pearls inside and the pigs outside. So how do you deal with a fool? How do you deal with pigs or dogs as Jesus calls them in Matthew? I think the first thing is this. You, you really set up strong boundaries. You, you identify them um, as such, but then you begin to set up boundaries um, to kind of protect yourself. Because you don't want to destroy other people, but you also don't want to let them destroy you. So some, some ideas of boundaries that Henry Cloud gives in his book, and we're going to rapid fire these. One is just geographical distance, that you need some space. Maybe you need to move out for a stretch. Maybe you need to, to end a relationship for a stretch. Because there's some ge- geographical distance to separate you and that person. Another thing could just be time. Um, the third thing that gives is emotional distance. And, and Henry Cloud notes when he talks about emotional distance that this is not a long-term solution. It's not a long-term solution to just emotionally check out from a relationship. That's not a sustainable model for a growing relationship, right? But there might be times where you need to shut down yourself emotionally so you don't just keep getting dragged back into the pit, dragged back into the mire, constantly getting triggered and, and wounded and being a, becoming a condemning person. Um, another boundary is just to have other people in your life that are a support system to kind of retreat to and, and have around you to help you stay strong and stay clear and have, have focus. And the last thing he says is just consequences, that at some point as you develop boundaries, there becomes consequences to broken behavior. Um, that you're just going to maybe, you know, end the relationship or, or create certain results for, for actions. One of my favorite quotes from this book, from Boundaries, is that we are responsible to others and responsible for ourselves. I just want to unpack that a little bit, but I'll say it again. We are responsible to others and we're responsible for ourselves. So we are responsible for our feelings, for our emotional health and well-being, for our overall health. We're responsible for that. We're responsible for our words. We're responsible for our actions. So we are responsible for ourselves. We are responsible to others. We are responsible for how we show up in that relationship. We are responsible um, what we say to them. But we are not responsible for other people's actions. We are not responsible for other people's feelings. Now, if we said something to trigger those feelings, then we're responsible for what we said. We need to own that, right? But we're not responsible for their feelings or for their emotions. We don't have to take their lives and and merge it into our our own. We don't have to let the pigs turn around and attack us. That's what Jesus said. So we're responsible to others and for ourselves. Uh, I think 
one way I see this in, in my life, right now we, we have kids, our kids are really small, so this is a little bit different, but as they get older, we have to learn how to, to understand that we are responsible to them, but not for them. As they become adolescents and adults, they are responsible for their decisions. Um, and if they make bad decisions, that's, they are not, we're not responsible for those decisions. We're responsible for, for how we raise them. We're responsible to them. We're responsible to loving them. And, and where they're at, we're responsible right now to them for feeding them and giving them a safe place to live and grow up, for teaching them values and virtue and character and for putting a roof over their head. We're responsible to them as parents, but they are also their own being. And they are responsible for themselves. And this is true in our friendships. If, if our friends are, if their lives are falling apart, we're not responsible probably for that, but we might be responsible to them in terms of being an encourager and loving them well. Sometimes loving them well means setting up hard boundaries. So I just want to reiterate that Jesus says we are not to be condemning. We are not to be destructive. We are not to destroy other people, but we're also not to allow, allow others to destroy us. And Jesus closes this section out with the golden rule. He says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And this is what we know as the, the golden rule. So do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And I want to connect that back to the pearls before swine passage because they seem to be conflicting. But here's what I would say. Don't allow others to trample all over you because you don't want them in their lives to allow other people to trample all over them. I'll try to say that again. It's kind of, I wrote this out 10 times and I couldn't figure out the right word because it's clunky. Don't let other people trample all over you because in love, you would not want them to let you do the same thing. You wouldn't want them to allow people to trample over them. So it's a loving thing to set boundaries. It's a loving thing to speak truth, to hold people accountable. Paul says in Romans 8.1, he says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'll take Romans 8.1 and attach it to Matthew 7. So Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I mean, there's nothing that can condemn them because Jesus has already paid the price. He's already redeemed us and rescued us. We are safe in his security and in his love. So there's no condemnation. And, and therefore, we are not to condemn others. And we're also not to receive condemnation from others. Right? Do not judge lest you be judged. Take the plank out. Seek to help. But don't cast pearls before swine. Don't let them turn and attack you. Don't condemn others, but also don't receive condemnation from them. I want to close by reading this passage again just slowly. Um, but I ask you guys, if you're comfortable too, to close your eyes. I want you to think of someone right now that, that you're frustrated with or disappointed with, a relationship that's strained. And, you know, maybe it's the person that's, like, sitting right next to you. Maybe it's a family member, a coworker, a friend, someone where there's just a strain in the relationship and it's not where you want it to be. And I want you to hear these words of Jesus and try to take account of these words in relation to, to that person. So here's what Jesus says to us this morning. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, 
Let me take the speck out of your eye. And there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning, and I pray that you would allow this kind of simple text just to speak into our lives, that as we go about our different relationships, that we learn the difference between condemnation and discernment, that we learn the difference between accountability and destruction, that we learn how to set proper boundaries, but also learn to love people and to seek their good. Give us wisdom in our own lives when we are being fools, when we are being foolish, and give us the humility to own that and to repent and to grow and to find wholeness. God, you long for us to have wholeness in our relationships. You created us for relationship. So teach us how to do that with the love of Christ um, that is our security and our strength and our platform. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.